Hello, good people, and welcome to Rewoke, Rewriting Our Kids Education Podcast. My name is Michelle Person, and we are on a journey. We are rethinking, re-examining, and re-educating ourselves and our children. On today's episode, we are going to revisit one of my favorite topics, being woke at work. It's one of my favorite topics to discuss because I know many of us, being in predominantly white workspaces, can relate to it and often have difficulty navigating those spaces. Unfortunately, in many regards, the culture and cliques that are found in these spaces can be reminiscent of school. And if we're going to teach our children to advocate for themselves, we need to make sure we're advocating for ourselves as well and teaching them how to create these spaces. In the next 20 years, it's anticipated that minorities will make up the majority of the workforce. What steps need to be taken now so organizations are inclusive places that value the input of everyone? And oh yeah, are you woke? My favorite commercials are the Snickers commercials, where someone is complaining until they eat a Snickers and then they magically turn into someone different. You're not the same person when you're hungry. You are also not the same person when you're emotionally drained. And nothing can drain you faster than getting up every morning and going to a job you hate. What can we do to create spaces that make us feel included so we can be in the right emotional space to give our all to our chosen career and still have something left over for our children when we get home. Our guest today, Erica Hines, specializes in working with organizations who care about their social impact and building systematic approaches to building strong teams. Erica is a lead consultant with Every Level Leadership, and she is here today to share her thoughts. Erica, thank you so much for being with us today. I cannot wait to hear all the interesting things you have to tell us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation in um, in a new context that I think is important. Before we jump right in, I always like people to understand why I picked the people that I'm speaking to, why why they were chosen to speak on this topic. So, can you give um, our listeners a little bit of background about what it is, how your the work that you do, how you came to do this work, so everybody understands why you are the person. To, to be giving us advice about how to cultivate um, culturally responsive workplaces. Yes, sure. So um, I own a business called Every Level Leadership, and doing that work, I focus on um, helping organization. I like to say that I help organizations align the commitments that they have made to diversity, equity, and inclusion with the next best right actions. Um, and so I call myself a DEI practitioner mm -hmm. with um, an expertise really around racial equity, um, as well as I'm becoming a burgeoning research researcher on how black women can thrive in the workplace. Can you tell us what does that, okay, so what does it mean then? I mean, that's what you do. All your work is centered around making sure workplaces are diverse, that they're mm -hmm. equitable. Um, so if you are lucky enough to, to be someone who works in what we call a woke work environment, mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a, a workplace that 
wouldn't need your services? What does that mean? Oh, well, that would be an organization where um, you had in place, just organization-wide, you would have in place race equity, meaning all of your policies, all of your practices, your folks would be skilled up so that they would have rooted out most symptoms and causes of racism inside of the organization. That sounds beautiful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It sounds heavenly. Um, What would people, if you were, if you were experiencing that, if you're at a work, if you're in a work environment and that's where your organization is, what does that feel like? How do you know that you're in that, that safe space? Yeah. So you would, you would have senior leaders and managers that were able to manage you from a place of being, I like to say, culturally literate, mm-hmm. um, who would understand their biases, their unconscious biases, and how those impact their decision making. So, so for example, you would have you would be able to raise concerns about things that were happening to work, to things that were happening at work that might have to do with your race or gender um, or other aspects of your um, uh, identity. Mm -hmm. And not only would your manager be able to like hear this, they would also feel as though they could um, help you. They could mentor you and help you figure out what like would be the appropriate action to take. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, in terms of the manager and leader, they would also be, um, when you brought up something that was like larger than like, hey, Erica and Michelle have an issue, but it's more like this, this, the promotion policy here only rewards um, white women, mm-hmm. for example. And if you brought that up, they would be like, let's investigate that. And then two, they would also be thinking, to themselves, and um, I'm really glad that Erica brought this to me. Instead of what is likely to happen now, which is that they would be glad that they that you brought it to them, but they would also maybe consider you to be a bit of a troublemaker mm. because you are causing them extra work. Gotcha. Gotcha. I had a, uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I had a friend um, explain it to me. We were talking, having a conversation a while ago and the way they explained it, um, she's Indian. Um, and I don't know if the proper term is Indian American at this point. Like she was born in India, but she lives here, she and her husband. Um, and one of their high holy days uh, is Diwali. So, yeah. you know, understanding, understanding that, um, although she and, and her organization, it is not, they, most of them can't even say the word properly. Um, uh, <laughs> but understanding that that is a high holy day for them, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, or, or a, a, ser- a, a celebration much in the way that we celebrate, um, you know, Christmas or, um, Hanukkah, yep, yep, yep. Or, you know, so, so understand being able to go to leadership and say, Hey, my family is, is, we'll be celebrating Diwali on these days. So mm-hmm. I will, I would like to request the time off or, or, or uh, in another way, she's also a mom. Um, and so we were talking about just the struggles of being, uh, being a mom and, and, and having 
having our work hours looked at and the amount of time that we put in be looked at than our differently than our male counterparts because though we might have to leave at six or or at five because we have children to go home and tend to that doesn't mean that we can't work just we can't reallocate that, that we can't still do the same workload um you know but it be look and be appreciated even if we're clocking out yeah. out physically we might not really be clocking out and so making sure that um that the administration is taking those things into consideration like we can't expect a seven o'clock evening workday because but that doesn't mean that you know we can't make accommodations so that everybody can be successful like we have to recognize that not everybody celebrates the the, the 11 federally recognized holidays and so we have yeah. to make provisions so that our our people can come to us and say this is what we're doing how can we how can you know you support me um so that yeah that, that like a so in in a work in a woke work environment somebody would go with those concerns and they would be heard and an environment that would need your assistance, I'm assuming they would go to, they would, they would voice those concerns and they would be pushed to the side. Yes. Yes. That is what is likely to happen. Um, and I think just using this example of Diwali, mm-hmm. um, I think in a woke environment, you would actually have, there would be no such thing as like, the only holidays that are recognized are Christian mm-hmm. um, or Jewish holidays. It would just be a series of floating holidays. Mm, oh, I like that. So everybody could pick what days worked for them in terms of. Exactly. That, that, and there you go. And that, and it's that simple, but mm-hmm. like, it's like that, that mind blowing for some people, like what mm-hmm. do you mean? You know? Um, so I, I love that, that, and that's a simple thing to fix. That's a, so I guess that actually leads into my next question. If these things to do are, are as simple as saying everybody gets 11 floating holidays, use those 11 floating holidays as you see fit. If that's all it takes to be woke, why aren't more environments like that? Like, how do you how do you create these these environments, these utopias where people feel <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why is it so hard, Erica? Like, why? What do we do? How do we create these spaces? Oh, my gosh. OK, you want to. You want a simple answer to that. Um, <laughs> so, so let's continue to work with the metaphor of the floating holidays, mm-hmm. right? So the reason that it's so hard is because the sort of accepted religion, the accepted religions that we have sort of constantly recognized have been Christian and Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea, and so like that's accepted, and the Jewish one is fairly new. So it's like, what is the norm here? Like the norm is to be like, of course, like everybody gets off Christmas and everybody gets off um, Easter because like, mm-hmm. you know, that is the pervasive religion in this country. However, in a diverse culture that we live in, not everybody's fitting into that like norm, that little that little, uh, you know, cake tin. Like we all have to fit in there and be like, yes, we're, we we can only operate on that schedule. So it takes a lot and people have feelings. People have feelings about this. They're like, well, what do you mean? We're not going to recognize, uh, you know, Easter and Christmas. And now people can choose what they want. People have feelings about that. There's also like manager and leader level. They'll, 
So we have 11 federally recognized holidays. I can tell you, going through the minds of managers and leaders is like, well, what if Michelle decides to take all of those 11 holidays as two weeks of vacation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? I, I get that. You've got to think like that sometimes because, you know, you've got to think like I, 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 being a former principal, like sometimes the, the, the people, the, my kid, my, my teachers would come and say, can we do this? And part of me wants to be like, sure. But then the other part of me has to play devil's advocate and know that there's somebody who's not going to use it the way it's intended. So I get that. I get that. But it's not impossible to deal with the, someone not using it as intended. Like that's, that's like 1% versus the 99% right. of, Hey, it would be nice for Diwali, um, which, you know, is based upon both my religion, but also like my ethnicity to not have to take vacation for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's like, in that case, it, the reason that it's hard is also, it would mean that you would have to change a policy. Yeah. If you're yeah. a leader, how easy is that to do? I tell people all the time. Like uh, when when uh, <laughs> um, I was in the throes of um, like fighting with unions during the first uh, during the, the end of Obama and then into Trump, and I would you know, I went on I went I would go on rants. Like I feel I feel Obama. Like I can't just do what I want. Like people think principal, you can do what you want. That is not true. Like right. I answer right. to people. I am a I am a person who has to get the parents and the board and the teachers union all in agreement so yep. that we can yep. create one cohesive decision and like move forward. My job is to persuade everybody to work right. together. I do not unilaterally get to make any yes. decision. And and so yes, I completely understand that. Um <laughs> because I lived it. <laughs> so it takes time, it takes work, it takes effort and it takes resources. Yeah. And that's why we don't have utopias because it is simple but it's not easy. It's not easy. I get it. I get it 100%. So which perfect segue into the next question. What supports what supports are necessary to make these transitions easier? Like what what supports do people need to be able to um, to be able to create these utopias or at least begin um, create some some foundation? Yeah. So first, well, it depends on where they're kind of entering into the process. So for let's say that there is an organization that's like yeah, we want to have a floating holiday, but we literally have to like even convince our staff of like why we need to have this. And we have to convince our board of why we need to have this because they've never heard of Diwali. For them, I would be like, so, you know, we're going to actually, we got to do some training because y'all need to learn what words to use. Mm -hmm. And we need to talk about like why this is important. And then you need a little bit of uh, and, you know, I'm answering this as like a consultant. So then I would be like, and you need a little bit of coaching and like, let's prepare those conversations so that I can give you feedback. So like the support that they need is like handholding. Okay. Which is fine. So, um, so I think for that group, but if there's a group that's like, oh yeah, we're on board. We just need to see like a Diwali policy or like a policy on floating holidays, not on Diwali. Uh, can you get that for us? That's another type of support, right? Mm -hmm. so, so it, it sounds like you need to go in. So what happened? What needs to happen probably is assessments 
to figure out where each company is, go in and assess where they are, and then meet them where they are, which is is very similar to what we what we would love to do as teachers is to assess each of our students. And instead of applying unrealistic expectations, like you don't want a company who has people who don't even know the the understanding of the the right words to use because you're going to offend somebody, everybody's going to get mad, you're going to have a lawsuit. So you don't want to try to force them to a level that they're not quite ready for. You don't take a kindergartner and say, here are some multiplication tables. Um, you kind of have to stare, step them up. So assess where they are and mm-hmm. and offer the appropriate level of support and, and just know where that what that is, whether it be training on how to speak about issues, whether that be support mm-hmm. around how to create e- e- equity policies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay, that so everybody needs an assessment. Who pays for this assessment? How do we make everybody get these assessments? Uh, well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, right there, you just explain why nobody does it because it's not. Yeah. It costs money. It costs money. Mm-hmm. It, well, most of them do. There are actually free assessments. No. There are decent free assessments that are DIY. What I always think, though, is that you know, in terms of these assessments and whether or not like a workplace wants to do an assessment. My question to them is, let's say you do do it on your own and you get a set of results. Do you know what to do when you get those set of results? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's where a person like me could be helpful because I could be like, Oh, it says this, here's what you should be doing. Here's, here's a possible next step. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other piece uh, that organizations need to be aware of, and this is, I mean, I work across sectors, so the one thing that I know to be true, and you probably encountered this as a principal, is even though people are um, are bought into the idea of the work that you are doing, naturally humans will resist something that means that they have to change their own status quo. Absolutely. So I often, I tell like all of my clients, yes. Here's how that work is going to get laid out. I want you to know that at some point you're going to resist me and you're going to resist this work. And I just want to say it up front because so when it happens and I'm able to like say it, it will not be new to you. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. I anticipate it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So you have to and, and be ready for it and be able to support it appropriately. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so I guess what are if it's if it's hard work. It's simple but not easy. Yeah. It's it it does require some resources and perhaps a financial investment. Yeah. Um, immediately, I can hear people going like, "Well, why would I do that? Like, what 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 what's in it for me? Why would I why would I invest all that time, that energy, and that money? Like, why?" So, can you speak to that? Like, what what are the major benefits to having a workplace that um that is supportive, that does value you know diversity, equity, and inclusion? What are what why why should people take the time to do this? Um, well, it's interesting that we're talking because these children that you are working with today are going to be in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And um, the demographics are that we are going to be a majority um, minority population in maybe 18 to 20 years. Yeah. So for any workplace anywhere to not consider Doing work around how they become more diverse, inclusive, and equitable means that they will be um, obsolete. Yeah, they, they will, will be obsolete. Blockbuster. Exactly. 
So it's not something that is a need or nice to do anymore. Like, oh, let's make everyone feel like they're included. It's like, no, this is a need to do. Mm-hmm. First of all, we already have global. I mean, we already have, if we work in a large enough company, our company already works like overseas and, and or our company works here in the United States, which is like, a, a you know, a mixed salad. Right, folks. Right. So, why wouldn't you want to do like? Why wouldn't you want your own workplace here, based here in the U.S., to be someplace where everybody from every dimension of diversity feels comfortable? But more importantly, if you go work for a larger corporation, they're across the world. For you to be like, you know what? I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I only understand what happens in the Southeast. Right. Or I live in Ohio, and I only understand what happens in the Midwest. That makes you like a lot less of, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, my desire to hire you goes down really right. quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why you should invest in it because. And also on the other end, it makes you more profitable. It makes you more profitable. And also Gen Z and, you know, the kids, I don't even know what they call the generations after Gen Z. Gen AA, I don't know. Whatever, whatever, Gen AA. <laughs> these, these young people, and I can say that now because I'm 52, <laughs> um, this is an expectation for them. Mm-hmm. This is an expectation in this workforce. Yeah. For them. And they're like, you're not going to accept me for everything that I am. Then I don't need to work here. I, I, will, I will take my talents to, I will, what, what LeBron's thing, I will take my talents to Miami if, if you're not going to, um, if you're not going to respect who I am as a person and my beliefs. And yep. so it makes sense. So it's what, I, and unfortunately, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where I know people now in education, and I know I like in everything education because that's my background. When charter started, um, you know, people fought them. They they didn't want to give them the time of day. They they spent money and hours advocating and giving reasons for why people should not be allowed to start charters um, mm-hmm. and why they were unconstitutional. And the bottom line is all that money they wasted fighting. I tell the story all the time. I, I worked in a very large district that had over 80,000 kids in it. And wow. the district within 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 10 years of the introduction of charters, the enrollment in the district was down to 40. Not because 40,000 children moved out of that district, because 40,000 children decided to leave the public school district and go to the charter district. And you know what happened when those little kids left? They took all their money with them. And so then finally somebody said, maybe we should stop fighting this and invest in the things that these charters are doing that that is appealing to these families so that we can maintain. Because at that point, what was happening is they spent all this money fighting the charter revolution, and then they were having to close schools. So people were losing their jobs, and there weren't, you know, these things, because they wanted to, because they wanted, they didn't, they didn't pivot. You have to pivot. And so it sounds like these, uh, if you, if you are a leader at a company, and your and your company is not as diverse and inclusive as you would like it to be. I hope you heard what Erica said. Now is the time because the people that are coming up in the next ten to fifteen years are going to demand it, and you will go the way of blockbuster. Um, yeah. You know, if you do not make this pivot, so uh, or like my district who is now scrambling trying to renovate the schools that are left to bring kids back. So 
my question then, Erica, is if someone is interested in, in bringing about the change sooner rather than later, because they, they know that some of them are probably sitting there listening, going, what's a blockbuster? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so if you, if you sat there and you listen to me just talk now and you're like, what's a blockbuster? Or you're like, oh yeah, I remember Googling that. Yeah. So if you, if you're doing that, then you really should be like, then what you need to understand is, um, that your, you and your company should be reaching out to Erica and her company to figure out how to make sure you pivot and are ready for these changes. So how should, what re, what suggestions do you have? How can people reach you? Um, if they are looking to, to, to incorporate this type of information into their workforce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can I, can I say something directly to, I'm assuming that one of your, like one part of your audience is parent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I would like to say to parents, please, please encourage your kids to expect this. Mm. Please don't tell them like, oh, when you get there, you have to go along to get along. Like the work that I'm doing and this is like part of my like feeling it in my heart. Like one of the reasons that I do this work is because I, I am committed to social change and this is how I view my commitment to social change, but I'm not changing it for myself. Right. Right. I'm changing it for your kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why I'm out here pushing, yelling, having people push back at me. So for parents, I'm like, don't, don't tell your children not to expect this. They need to expect it. Right. right. And they need to ask for it. And they, they need to, it actually. And they need, exactly. And they need to demand it. And frankly, that should be starting now in school. Yes. Yes. And that, and that, but that's exactly what, like our, our goal is to demand that our kids are taught mm -hmm. culturally responsive curriculum. I, I mean, that's the, the, the whole reason this season took so long to put together is because it, the, I was shouting at the top of my lungs and it wasn't happening fast enough. So I said, I'm going to start my own school. And so like, you know, and starting my own school and doing the show, we had to, you know, the show production this season took a little bit longer, but because people, and you're right. Either you're going to you're either going to conform these companies or you're mm -hmm. going to find a mass exodus and people are going to create their mm -hmm. own. So absolutely exactly. demand it, re require it and make sure your children know that they this is, should be what's expected. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So I can you, reach out to you. They can reach out to me. Uh, I'm I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> you can email me at my website. You can find me not on Twitter ever again um you can find me on instagram you can find me a little bit on facebook um and uh my advice you asked for my advice and I'll, yes. if i can give just one piece of advice i think it is to actually do your own work initially Mm -hmm. around how you can show up as a more inclusive and equitable person mm -hmm. just in your own relationships, um, whether there's a professional relationships, platonic relationships, romantic relationships, but like um, particularly in the workplace, like how I always say like it is important if you really say that you're committed to inclusion and equity, it's not just external to you, it's internal to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you want to show up as an inclusive individual who values everyone? How are you going to make sure that in your actions and decisions that you're making further 
us all getting to an equitable utopian place. So Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out today to talk to us. Um, everyone, if you are uh, interested in bringing Erica or Every Level Leadership into your organization, check the show notes for all of her information. Um, Erica, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Demand the change you want to see and teach your children to expect the same. Powerful stuff. Show notes of the things and resources discussed in this podcast are available on our website at www.justlikemepresents.com. Share this podcast with other parents and educators in your circle, and be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening this week, and remember, if our children can see it, they can achieve it.